presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us. Today's conversation covers the topic of unemployment insurance in Colorado and the financial health of the UI Trust Fund. That's the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund. The shutdowns of and business closures associated with COVID-19 pandemic produced a record high unemployment levels in Colorado. As of March 2021, the state total employment level was still 5% below what it was in January of 2020. Official forecasts project that state employment will not recover to its pre-pandemic level until 2022. As a result of historically high demand for unemployment benefits, our Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund has been quickly depleted. And in August 2020, we fell into debt as a state. To help us navigate this topic, I have the pleasure to date of being joined by J.J. Emmett, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Metro Denver Economic Development Corporation. J.J., welcome. Good morning. Glad to be with you. I'm also joined by Chris Brown, the Vice President of Policy and Research for CSI. Chris, it's always great to to be with you and hear your comments. Thanks, Rob. I'm looking forward to discussing this topic with both of you today. So let's get started. Chris, I'd like to start with you. You've been studying this topic for several months. Where does the trust fund stand right now? And why are we having this discussion in the first place? Thanks, Earl. Yeah, as you mentioned in your opening, this really has been a a major focus for us, frankly, since a year ago. It's incredible to think, uh, you know, we're recording this in April 2021, and April 2020, you know, proved probably to be, you know, the worst uh, month in uh, economic history. You know, the state of Colorado lost 370,000 jobs last April. We've regained about 230,000 of those jobs, but we are still down 5% of total employment from our pre-pandemic levels. And the implication for that is many of those individuals that have lost those jobs uh, have been drawing from the state's unemployment and it's been a crucial lifeline for those workers. However, given the magnitude of that job loss and the fact that we still see large uh, levels of, of unemployment and jobs have not recovered, you know, the, as you mentioned, the trust fund went insolvent, uh, it's running a, a deficit. And we're talking about this now because ultimately those the, the, the burden of repaying and replenishing the, the, the fund and continuing to sustain payments is borne by Colorado businesses. And, you know, we'll get into the future, what this looks like going forward. But this is a, a very important issue for many reasons, both as a lifeline and the implications for replenishing the fund through higher taxes in the next couple of years. Chris, just very quickly, you, you mentioned a deficit. It's running a deficit. How big is the deficit? Well, at the moment, and I just checked again this morning, but the trust fund, the state trust fund has taken on over a billion dollars in federal loans. So uh, it is, is owes more than a billion dollars 
back to the federal government. And, and how big do you forecast it could, it could uh, become? The projections are that the, the fund, the uh, taxes going into the fund will not begin to cover those expenses going out until uh, FY22, fiscal year 2022. So we're still a ways off from that. You know, until that point, we'll continue to draw federal loans. So by the end of June this year, the fund itself is projected to be nearly a billion dollars in debt. Um, so the federal loans will continue to grow, but the fund itself, after you account for the continuing inflow of tax revenue, will be uh, projected to be a billion dollars in debt. Okay, and you're suggesting that it'll probably continue to grow. So let me follow up on that. Um, whether it's in debt or not, the uh, unemployed still have to receive their unemployment benefits somehow. And it, it, it seems to me that we don't have an unemployment scandal, at least we're not aware of it. So how, how does the state perceive that they're going to continue to pay this unless, unless they continue to borrow? Is that the answer? At the moment, that seems to be the answer, unfortunately. Is this a problem unique to Colorado or other states uh, taking out uh, similar uh, loans uh, of this size uh, on, a, on a per capita basis? Uh, how do we compare? As of uh, two weeks ago, Colorado was only one of 19 states to require loans from the federal government uh, and actually ranked ninth. So Colorado, you could say, is top 10 in federal loans per Colorado resident, taking on about, as I said, over a billion dollars or more than $170 per Coloradan in loans to the trust fund. So not a position I think the state or you know businesses looking forward really want to be in. Chris, how, how do we get ourselves in this situation? Were we underfunded to begin with or were we one of the states that was trying to kind of skinny by um, or did we really have this well-funded and we just got hit by this pandemic more so than others? No, there were certainly calls and discussions leading into or prior to you know, the pandemic that highlighted the risks of the UI trust fund. So it was rated to only be able to handle, the trust fund was rated to only be able to handle a surge in demand of about 78% of the state's historic high, which is not necessarily a position that is um, a position of strength. And, and some annual reports from the Colorado Department of Labor noted the fiscal challenges that the trust fund would face in the event of a large uh, downturn, which clearly this has turned into something even more than that. So yes, a lot of this was, was known and anticipated uh, prior to the pandemic. It's rather disappointing we weren't better prepared. JJ, um, you've been following this topic uh, in your capacity and tell us a bit more about the Metro Denver uh, EDC and your involvement in this issue. Thanks, Earl. The, the Metro Denver Economic Development Corporation is a privately funded and privately governed organization. We started back in the 1980s to really diversify Colorado's economy beyond, at the time, tourism, oil and gas, and agriculture, uh, and have been really successful as a region in, in working collaboratively to make sure that going into this pandemic, we had the nation's best economy, well diversified across multiple industry sectors. 
But to do that, we have to have a good public policy environment. We have to have a good business environment. We have to have all the community assets that make us attractive for investment, capital investment, and employment expansion. And so we follow employment and the unemployment insurance trust very carefully because it is among, it, it is a direct tax on hiring. That's how we fund that trust. And so when we look to try to grow jobs in Colorado, be it from companies that are already here or companies that are looking to relocate from somewhere else, making sure that is it's as easy and least less expensive to hire the next employee is one of our objectives. So managing that trust is really important. And to the point that Chris was making earlier, that trust fund was really never designed to accommodate COVID. And we should be really clear that what we're experiencing as a state and as a nation right now is a health emergency. The response to that health emergency is what's creating the economic emergency. It's not the other way around. There was nothing broken with our underlying financial systems, our underlying economy, nothing uh, about democratic capitalism was broken. But the response to this health emergency created a draw on unemployment benefits that really could never have been predicted. And so it's a balancing act between do we tax employers and employment in advance to generate an, an enormous capital reserve, or do we uh, allow for borrowing from the federal government, which is how the system is designed when we're depleted. But make no mistake, all of those borrowings have to be repaid again by a future tax on employment. And so we wanna make sure that one, there's no fraud in the system, two, people are getting the benefits that they need, and three, as a contributor to our overall tax environment, this isn't a dis disincentive to hire the next worker. I'd like to follow up on that if I could. Um, you, you mentioned tax several times in your response, and how do you see this uh, tax impacting your members, or how are they how are they trying to handle this fallout or is it even impacting them at all? Well, it impacts uh, particularly, you know, I think every employer wants to make sure that a laid off employee has access to the benefit that the insurance system is designed to provide. That's very appropriate. That's why we pay unemployment insurance taxes. But more than really any other tax, this one is really confined to a tax on employment itself. So what we need coming out of a pandemic right now is, is the ability to rehire workers and put some 300 to 500,000 Coloradans back to work. And so anything that makes that more difficult or more expensive, we want to avoid. This tax in particular, since it's directly tied to whether or not you hire an employee and put them on payroll, is something we pay close attention to. And whether that trust fund has been depleted by legitimate claims or whether it's in part been depleted by fraudulent claims makes no difference when the tax is computed to repay it. And so making sure that we're repaying the trust fund and therefore paying those unemployment claims in a legitimate way is really important and employers shouldn't be burdened with having to repay for all the fraud that has existed in the system. Let's kind of move on to the issue that you brought up here that, you know, the Colorado employers are on the hook to refill the fund with, you know, payroll taxes. Um, what kind of tax increases do you see What's the mechanism for de determining what uh, each employer will pay and what does that mean for those probably struggling to retain workers and stay open? 
Sure. Well, this employment, this unemployment insurance system was designed for the employers who have higher turnover in their employee ranks to pay more into the system. There's also a trigger for when the balance is depleted. And then there are multiple triggers that come from the federal government if we're in a situation like we are now borrowing money to cover those claims. Again, borrowing whether those claims are legitimate claims or whether they're fraudulent claims. So employers who have had to lay off the most people will tend to pay the highest premiums. The burden is spread even among employers who maintained their employment levels as well. So for every employer looking to replenish this fund, there are automatic tax increases built into the system to begin to recover uh, what has been uh, depleted. So each employer, but particularly employers who have had to lay off employees, will see their tax rates rise to try to replenish this fund. Chris, um, you've been looking at this for you know quite some time and analyzing. Would you like to add anything? Well, I, JJ brings up a couple of really good points. And I think there's a, a policy implication today that I think is very relevant to understanding the potential decisions the General Assembly and governor may be making around this because there has, is a major injection of federal dollars from uh, response and, and relief packages, uh, targeting uh, aid from uh, due to COVID-19. And you know the state of Colorado is projected or anticipated to receive nearly $4 billion in relief aid from the recently passed American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And we've put out research about how the total dollars coming to Colorado has totaled over $60 billion at this point. Not all to the state government, obviously, but the point JJ makes about this is a a downturn, not caused by a structural failure in the way business, a a single business or a system uh, and industry is performed, but rather the result of, again, I go back to last April and where these major reforms and and policy uh, for the purpose of public health cause these ramifications and the, and the trust fund has been used to prop up these payments. But now we see the federal relief aid having the potential to either replace state dollars and state revenue that's grown be, uh, significantly through the, or at least rebounded through the pandemic and is projected to increase or be used directly in a way that could replenish or at least stop taking on new loans Uh, to sort of relieve that burden on future taxes. So I think that just there's a real policy angle here and and discussion that needs to be had around the the use of these federal funds. And there's a very strong economic case and a case, you know, directly tied to why we're drawing on these funds in the first place, tied to decisions uh, surrounding COVID-19 that I think need to be uh, sort of more, I'm hoping, you know, the public can be more aware of. So I don't know if that sort of addresses your question or other issues, but I think this federal funding question is critical to, to understand there's a, a strong case to be made for why the UI trust fund is, is, a, is a very important source for those funds as other states uh, have prioritized, including Arizona and Florida in using past dollars. Okay, so, so what you're saying of the billion dollars that's growing the deficit that we had to the federal government with the relief funds that have come in from the 
uh, passage of uh, legislation last year and this year that's been available at the state level where there's discretion at the state level on some of these dollars. They're saying, hey, why not take some of it and replenish or pay off some of that deficit that we have uh, on the unemployment insurance fund with regards uh, from the relief funds from the federal government we just got? Is that kind of a summary comment that you made? That's absolutely right. I think that should be a, a, a focus and, and who's making that decision as to whether the funds will be used to uh, help uh, pay off that deficit, the the uh, unemployment insurance deficit from the funds we've gotten back from the three uh, various relief packages? Well, I, I think it'll come down to the governor's office and members of the General Assembly and, and how they can prioritize that. So I can't pinpoint it anymore for you, but it, it will be at the discretion of, of our elected officials. Okay, JJ, moving on to another topic, have you mentioned it a couple of times in kind of a, a light way about the possibility of fraud? There's, there's been an overpayment and fraud, and I looked up the Gazette and the Post mentioned 1.2 million claims. If your numbers are correct about the people that have been unemployed, that's four times the people that have been unemployed. That seems to me that it could be a pretty big part of any one one billion dollar deficit, uh, JJ. Um, can you talk about the magnitude of this and consequences? Uh, how do we get this resolved? Yeah, the fraud is substantial. We've now had more fraudulent claims filed in Colorado than we have had legitimate claims filed in Colorado. Um, some of those are being caught, but at the Department of Labor is having trouble even estimating the actual fraud that has passed through the system. And I think they have tried to balance paying claims quickly with paying claims accurately and, and have erred on the quick side and less on the accuracy side. And so originally it was some $6 million that had been contemplated, had been taken by fraudsters. Now it's 20 some million and we certainly expect that number to grow. It has been substantially higher than that in other states. The department is taking some steps to try to increase their ID verification, but prior to uh, COVID, again, they'd never had experienced anything like this and didn't have those fraud prevention measures in place. I think employers want to make sure that their taxes are going to pay legitimate claims. And the whole system is designed, as we mentioned, so the employers who have had higher turnover in their staffs pay a little bit higher rate. That That's a typical insurance provision that you would expect to find. But that's in the normal course of business. When they've had to lay off employees in mass because as a response to the health emergency, we've we've by policy said their businesses must close. Then they're unemploying folks for no fault of their own, not because of a business or economic reason, but because public policy simply doesn't allow them to hire. So that that does argue, I think, for the General Assembly and the governor to use some of the aid that's coming from Washington to offset the expenses of those who were unemployed and replenish that trust using some of those federal stimulus dollars. Because, again, the best stimulus for our economy is putting people back to work in good jobs much better than a, a check that might come on a one-off. So we want people to have long-term career success, be long-term employees. And so replenishing that trust makes hiring the next employee less expensive and easier for the employer. And that's really where we need to head for Colorado's economy to get back to where it was pre-pandemic. Um, and anything that's obviously used for fraud is just a drag on that system. It's not just inefficient, but it's expensive. And certainly employers 
Yeah, it would be my opinion that employers shouldn't be held entirely responsible for having to lay off workers when their businesses have been mandated that they be closed. And it most certainly shouldn't be the responsibility of employer and payroll taxes to cover insurance claims that were fraudulent. I'm going to, to dig a little bit deeper into the totality of the impact of this and maybe some other things are going on to follow up, JJ. But first, Chris, from your perspective and analysis you've done, what's the impact of all this uh, on the whole? How badly uh, could some businesses have it and for how long? And you know, what do you what do you expect uh, as to when we might return to normal? Lots unpacked there. When you think about the impact, the projections right now from the state uh, only take us through the next two years. And they're projecting an average tax increase of about 25% a year over the next two years to where the tax revenue going to replenish the fund as it's currently projected will grow by over $500 million. But we think that that's really not quite showing the full impact of this either as you look out through 2024, 2025 as well. And considering the state's forecast from a from an employment standpoint has the state hovering at 6% employment breaking to to that 5% barrier by 2023 you know this is a an issue that as jj said impacts the ability to maintain and rehire and so the implications are large and i think that one is those the numbers i cited don't show the full impact as you look beyond that timeline The other issue is they don't tell a full story for individual businesses who have and the way that the the taxes system works, those that lay off more will see their ratings, uh, their percent of excess utilization ratings decrease and their rates will increase even more. So it makes it more challenging to rehire because of the way these rating systems work and the way that the tax system works. So the implications are, are, are significant. I would, I would say disproportionate in many ways to businesses that have been hurt the most through the last 10, 12 months. Chris, I'm, uh, you, you've got to get more specific with me here for a second so I can relate to it. How much, what's the range of, of additional cost per employee when I hire somebody next year in my business or for the firm that we have, we have a certain number of employees. So how much more per employee, a range, are we going to have to pay um, next year? That's just money we don't have to grow. So what are we talking about? Talking about $25 per employee per year? Or are you talking about $500 per employee per year? What are we talking about? It, it's anywhere from probably hundreds to, to thousands more per employee. I can give you a maybe an example here. This might not be it won't represent every case, but let me give you an example. A small business that has 15 employees and they laid off five workers in 2020 due to the economic shutdowns. Let's say that it would change their utilization rating from let's say zero to negative 10. So that would be from sort of the average rating to a negative rating because they were drawing they were drawing on the fund, their rating would decrease, their taxes, their payroll taxes, the trust fund would increase from about $7,000 or $6,900 a year to if they don't rehire anyone, 
they would increase to about $9,500. So almost $3,000 more um, ha and having five fewer employees. If they do rehire those five employees in 2021, their payroll tax would go up by 208% to $14,340. If they continue to struggle- so Per employee? Per employee? That's total, that's their total bill. So their bill more than doubles, their total bill more than doubles. Let's say they, if they don't rehire, if they continue to struggle, um, but they, they rehire in 2024, um, at some point their taxes will go up to $22,600. So in 2020, they'd be paying 6,700. By 2024, after they were able to finally rehire, uh, they'd be paying 22, over $22,600. So I, this is not a clean answer. And we've, we've, believe me, we've talked with people at CDLE. We've tried to come up with a really clean way to look at this. Um, and, and, but I don't think the average really tells that story. So that small business, 15 employees, could see their taxes go up from $6,700 to uh, over $22,000 in the next three years. And that's a real challenge. And that's that is playing out across every business uh, across Colorado. And Chris, I just might chime in and say it's not because it's their fault. I mean, if I if I drive too quickly and get 10 speeding tickets, my auto insurance premiums are going to rise. That makes sense. If I am an employer in normal times and I hire and fire and hire and fire employees and create a lot of demand for unemployment insurance, my premiums will rise. That makes sense. If a global pandemic hits, and by public policy order from executive order from the governor's office says that my business can no longer be open. Well, that's something totally different. And so now I have folks on my team who have become unemployed through no fault of my own, uh, but because of a response to a health emergency. And that's why we think it's so important for the legislature to step in and use some of the billions of dollars that are coming to Colorado from Washington to cover those unemployment insurance claims, because this isn't a case of somebody speeding on their auto premiums. This is a case of them having to lay off employees because of a, man, a mandated shutdown of their industries, especially if that small business is a restaurant, a bar, a hospitality industry, hotels, and the like, who've been particularly hit hard in Colorado. I think there's room for us all as a business community to come together and realize that much of the drain on the unemployment insurance uh, trust fund has not been because employers suddenly decided to cut their workforces. It's because they weren't allowed to have workforces. JJ and Chris, I'm going to go to you first, JJ, to respond a little bit. This question goes to your last comment. You mentioned that, that several different types of uh, industries, are, they all fall in my category in the service industry that have been impacted significantly by the pandemic and the closing of businesses. Are you suggesting that uh, they also are the ones that will probably have to pay the higher, higher insurance premium, and yet they're the ones that have been closed, so they're going to have another burden placed on them to open their doors and uh, hire people back? Is that what you're suggesting? That's exactly right, because those folks will now say that, well, your small business that laid off 10 people, you put 10 people into the unemployment insurance program. Therefore, you have you've made claims to be paid. Therefore, we're going to raise your premiums because you've used the unemployment system more than the employer next door who didn't lay off any people. 
And so that makes, again, that's how insurance works. That makes sense that, well, if I use the system, my premiums will rise. But again, I didn't use the system because my business was failing. I used the system because my business was closed because of a public policy response to a health emergency. So you bet when we reopen, my premiums now will be higher because I have more experience in the system is what they call it. So my experience rating uh, shows that my premium should be higher. So the very people who had their businesses shut or laid off when they come back, their premiums will be higher because they've had layoffs. And, and But then across the system, because we've shut down so much and there have been so much demand for unemployment claims, every employer, whether you laid folks off or not, will pay higher premiums because of the way the system is designed to replenish itself. So those folks who've had layoffs will pay even more. And those folks who haven't had layoffs will see their taxes go up as well to recover the balance of the fund. But they won't pay as much relative to those that have to reopen their businesses. Correct, because they would have laid off fewer people. If I was an aerospace engineering firm, I didn't have near the level. In fact, aerospace added jobs in 2020. But if I ran a hotel or a restaurant and and were closed, then maybe 100% of my staff was laid off. So when they set the insurance premiums in the chart you'll find in statute, they'll say, oh, well, you had 10 layoffs. So that component of your premium will be higher and compared to a company that might have had zero layoffs. But then on the next column over, a tax rate that applies to everyone, whether you've had layoffs or not, there's still a deficit in the trust fund. That deficit has to be replayed by payroll taxes. And so everyone's taxes go up on that component of the premium calculation. Well, I guess, Chris, I want to follow up and kind of a concluding question, if I could. You run econometric models all the time with regards to public policy issues and and how they might impact the uh, Colorado economy. It doesn't sound to me what JJ has said is this is something that uh, is going to help us out of this hole we've got in, economic hole we've got in because of the pandemic. How do you see... Uh, uh, that impacting us as far as our state growth? Or do you see that, hey, if the, if these relief funds were used to re, uh, to uh, re- build back up the uh, Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, uh, we would have less of an economic impact on the state versus if they didn't use the funds to uh, rebuild the uh, Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund. G- give me a sense of the trade-off, Chris. Well, I think you've nailed it. And... I don't have the specific numbers for you here. However, I will note, you know, in other work we've done, we anticipate, you know, total direct taxes and fees over the next three to five years to increase by over $1.8 billion, inclusive of these trust fund taxes. And that doesn't even account for some of the indirect costs that will also be incurred to businesses to comply with a lot of the recent regulations that uh, have passed surrounding uh, labor or or energy and environmental issues. And so this really is the the fundamental question that will Colorado be able to remain competitive? Uh, We've seen through the recovery, Colorado lags. We rank 28th in terms of employment recovery at the moment. And I think when you look at not just the UI taxes, but combination of other uh, fees, taxes we expect and know are coming, this really is about uh, fighting for those 150,000 
plus employees that remain unemployed, the, the, the growing labor force that we have that, um, you know, is going to be required to see employment growth very strong that we're not seeing. So this is uh, absolutely a trade-off. And if we don't see that growth, that puts more strain on not just the trust fund, but overall budgets and puts the state in a strain from a, from a you know, fiscal standpoint beyond where it, where it is as well. So they go hand in hand. And I, I think it's absolutely the right question. And, and our policymakers and general public should be very aware of and, and thinking about it at the moment. Well, JJ and Chris, are you having any impact in the conversation down at the legislature or in the governor's office? Are we having a conversation? Are you all involved? Uh, most certainly. So the Metro Denver Economic Development Corp, we're part of the Denver Metro Chamber, one of the largest business lobbies in the Capitol building to help articulate to legislatures why this is important, to help them understand we compete in a market. Our market happens to be other metropolitan regions and states around the United States. And so making sure that we have a system that works and that encourages economic growth and employment is one of our huge priorities. And we've said for a number of years now that the greatest risk to Colorado's economy is really not an economic risk, it's a public policy risk. And Chris just listed off all of the additional taxes and regulations that we're putting on a business community by a number of legislators who quite frankly have never in their lives worked in the for-profit private sector. And so we there's a lot of education to do and all of us as business leaders and business owners have to come together and make sure that we're uh, working with legislators and policymakers throughout level, all the levels of government to understand that without that for-profit private sector engine, uh, there is no revenue available for solid public policy government programs or nonprofit programs or anything else. So we compete in a market. We have to make sure that we're competitive in that way and that Colorado continues to be a good place for businesses to relocate and expand. And public policy is right now the largest risk to our economic recovery and our future growth. Well, JJ and, and Chris, uh, not in particular order, what can the podcast listeners do besides just saying, hey, good luck, JJ, and good luck, Chris? I mean, what, what can they do as citizens to help uh, you carry out what you're trying to, to do and getting the message across to our, our public officials and our legislators and the governor's office? Well, I guess I'd answer by saying you have to be engaged. You can't, you can't expect somebody else to do it for you. You need to be involved in organizations like the Common Sense Institute, like the EDC or the chamber, or your local chamber. Uh, you can't sit this out because these decisions are being made by folks who need to know your input and need to know your individual experience. And so the notion that you can say, well, politics isn't for me or I have a distaste for that sort of thing, that, that doesn't work anymore. You must be at the table and have help us make sure your voice is heard so that policymakers understand the real life implications of the decisions that they're making every single day in the Capitol. So you can't sit it out. You have to be involved and you have to be willing to pick up the phone and call your county commissioner or your city council people, your state legislator or the governor's office and let them know about how these decisions are impacting your business and your livelihood. Chris, do you have any follow-up comments? I, I guess I would I would simply echo that. I, I know the state put together a, a listening tour, if you will, of building back stronger effort to hear from uh, individuals and uh, Coloradans directly that uh, officially ended a week or so ago. But I would I would think they're still soliciting that input. 
And so you can find some of the questions they were asking of Coloradans in terms of priorities. But I think the more voices they hear, uh, I think really helps prioritize the issues. So I'd echo JJ's comments. I would only I would only add to that, uh, Chris and JJ, that I would probably place high odds of 99.9% of the Colorado populace has no idea about the deficit with the insurance, uh, the unemployment insurance fund. Listening to this podcast, and I hope many do, uh, all of a sudden they're saying, my goodness, uh, this is something I didn't know about and it can be resolved if we just... Uh, use some of these funds that have come from the federal government to help us lessen this deficit. I want to thank both of you uh, for today's podcast. And JJ, uh, it's great to hear somebody with such a strong business voice have a chance to uh, give us some insight as to how you see issues being resolved. And Chris, we always appreciate your research and the objectivity with which you approach these, uh, these situations from pure economics. Great. Thank you so much, Earl. And thank you, JJ, as well. Yeah, I was glad to be here. Thanks for all your good work. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.